Hello, you're listening to the Adams and Hayes podcast, the podcast where two blokes who should really know better try to make health and safety just a little less boring. This week, we're going to talk about safety in the news, and Dan has found some more myths online that we're going to talk about. So, let's get into it. How are you, Anthony? I'm all right. Um, I'm just as tired this week than I was last week, um, but that comes with having a poorly child for an extended period of time, then a poorly wife, um, and then a poorly me. So mm. we've kind of all had whatever whatever my son brought home from nursery. Uh, That's so brutal. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, I always like handing over like half of my salary in order to get a new disease every week. That's, um, seems like a fair swap. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So I um, took today off. Um, I had some outstanding leave. Um, so I took today off mm. um, in order to get the Christmas shopping done. So me and my wife have managed to spend the day together getting stuff done. Nice. While the child's back in nursery. That's a good, yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, so um, the other half of my bank account's now gone. So, yeah, successful day. Is Alexander, has he, has he got presents he's after now? No, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, you've got a few years of kind of just buying him some nice things. and Yeah, buying him stuff that we kind of want him to play with and uh, toys that um, help him learn. That's kind of mm-hmm. what we've gone for. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's always been a fan of books, which me and... Me and my wife absolutely love the fact that he loves yeah. books. Um, but yeah, we, we've it's kind of big on farms, animals, tractors, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if any anybody that's kind of a, a close friend of mine is listening to this, jump on my Facebook and you'll see my son lining up the animals from the farm and they went on a walk earlier on. Amazing. He put one animal in front of the other until it had walked the, the length and breadth of the house. That is, that's dedication. That is dedication. It, it was committed. You could tell he was committed. He was led on the floor next to them. Definitely yeah. committed. Serious imagination there. Yeah. So um, how are you getting on? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking, like I said, the last two podcasts, and I think maybe I'm banging a drum here, but also if you've listened to the last two podcasts, maybe you're hearing the enthusiasm drain from my voice. As I say, I'm really looking forward to Christmas now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so bothered about about the presents and the sparkly lights anymore. I just really need a break. I'm absolutely shattered. Um, which is rich coming from somebody who has no kids. Um, and it's probably half of my exhaustion is semi self inflicted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I. Well, that's fine. You're at the age where you can self inflict that tiredness. On the subject of Christmas presents, yeah, um, we talked last week about what not to get, what not to get health and safety advisors. But we also talked a little bit about people being thoughtful in gifts yes. and me really enjoying when people are thoughtful. Now, my line manager, um, the good old uh, legend that is Gordon Gray, um, came via my house a couple of weeks ago to do my end of year review because it's, um, it just worked that way. Um, and yesterday I got a knock on the door and I opened it and it was Amazon, um, other career shopping services are available. Um, and Gordon had bought me and my wife a, a puzzle, which was a really thoughtful gift. That is a really um, thoughtful We gift. really enjoy puzzling and he'd noticed while he was here that we had a puzzle out and we nearly finished it. Um, so he's bought us another one to do over the Christmas. That's impressive. So, yeah. So that's like, love that felt really valued that's a really really nice present definitely um, especially from a, a line manager that's yeah. a line manager that cares right there. it's a line manager that cares um thoughtful really kind um something i can do with emma so that was really nice um mm. and i just wanted to shout that out because um gordon will be a couple of episodes behind he does tell me he's listening to the podcast um but he's always telling me he's like oh yeah no i'm, I'm a few behind i think which one did you he's telling me about the one he was listening to the other day and i'm, I'm um, I think it was Patrick Stiles. I think he'd skipped. It was the one after we right. had Patrick on. Okay. Um, and so he'll get to this probably like just after the new year. Um, <laughs> oh, <but>, March. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, 
so I'm just aware that he like bought that present after we recorded so I'm like yeah no it's cool um but also just really yeah that's a really thoughtful thing so that's good. Um, no elf and safety t-shirt fantastic uh, and I raised that because I realized that a few people were like what elf and safety's funny like you guys need to relax <laughs> yeah I'd, so I did receive some feedback on this yeah with uh you know what it just party poopers um it, it's funny just kind of ah. smile at it or whatever and i tell around about listen it, it's probably a bit more frustration from me that i see that as jibes at the industry yeah on we can literally take the mick out to you legitimately for a for a month yeah. um like so one of my friends who i was in the armed forces with he's still serving all law in kind of a um one of the different sectors of the tri services and he's been given a card from his health and safety team that basically says don't cut yourself on this card like health and safety matters at christmas please be careful when you open this card and don't get a paper cut that's not a real is that a joke i think it's a joke or at least i hope it's a joke but you see what i mean people kind of take it to yeah i I, I just see it as people kind of um, like being given a free pass to take the mick out of our. I nearly swore them, but if I swear, our podcast doesn't get released for forty-eight no, hours. I mean, I flagged the podcast as potentially clear, including explicit language, so we could swear as much as we want. It just means it. I'm gonna have to edit it quicker. Yeah, so we can get it out on Saturday. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's okay. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll curb my language. Uh, but yeah. I'd, for me, it gives people a free pass to just take the mic out of the industry that we work in, which I'm not really a fan of. So we definitely took the mic out of health and safety professionals last week, and I think we might do a little bit this week with Mythbusters. So what's what's our excuse? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> Ooh, um, I, th- I think I hear the sound of glass uh, being yeah, shattered yeah, by pretty a stone. Much, pretty much. <laughs> um, I don't think we take the mick out of safety professionals. I think we might highlight where some can improve. I think, yeah, okay, maybe you don't, but I definitely, I definitely. Oh right, okay. To, I think <laughs> yeah. I refer. I think I use the choice terms frustrated police officer and jobs worth and safety advisor last week. So, yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, that's individual competency. That's not. That's not industry competency. No. Um. But yeah, I'm probably just being a bit of a humbug with it, to be fair. Um, and I probably should lighten up a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, plastering elf and safety on things, thinking it's funny, is just ridiculous. Do you know what? The reason it annoys me, and hmm. I think it I think it was funny the first time I saw it, but it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's definitely a cracker joke. Yeah. And... Like I don't, I don't need that. No, like, no. it was funny the first. I know what you time. mean. It's kind of when I don't know. You you kind of up a step ladder doing a bit of DIY, and your father-in-law comes up going, "Oh, should you really be on that?" And you go, "Like really? Of course I can use a frigging step ladder." Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Or or like members of your family or friends kind of going, "Oh, I hope you risk assessed it." <laughs> And you're like, well, yeah. of course I've risk assessed it. Why wouldn't I? It's not like you go. I think I think the point <laughs> we're getting at here is it's not like you go to an accountant and go, "Oh, have you budgeted for that chocolate bar you're about to buy?" That's Ooh. exactly it. That's exactly it. Or a QS at a dinner table, and you're not taking the mick, going, "How much was that turkey? Could have got one cheaper." So, do you know what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How many crackers? That's ridiculous. Between what... six of us. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. So, should we do the news? Yeah, let's go for it. Sure. So, you go for your topic of the week. The headline I put down is: Is the construction industry in trouble? Lango Rock death again. Seven million contract awarded on a seven million pound contract. Um, so they've just somebody's unfortunately died last week. Um, but this happened at the same time as Lango Rock declaring that two. 188 million pound loss this year post-tax pre-tax post-tax um so it's an interesting one because what we had what happened was about three weeks ago lang o'rourke three four weeks ago lang o'rourke were awarded a contract on a project in oxford 
roughly two weeks later, and these are rough timelines, Langer will make that declaration that they are, you know, they've made a loss this year. It's quite a big loss. It's one of the biggest losses um, in the industry for a long time. Um, and it's the biggest loss that they've ever reported. And then last week, sadly, somebody died on one of their sites. Um, and it happened to be the site that um, they'd, they'd been awarded the contract for um, just about a month before. And we started talking about this because this is the second death um, on a Langer Rock site in a year, um, in 13 months. So they, there'd been a third death on Hinkley Point C, um, but that was a joint venture with a company called Borgule Travel. Um, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. <laughs> um, and on that site at Hinkley Point C, Langer Rock's main role is producing concrete and batching concrete. So there's a, there's a question there about how involved um, Langer Raw actually would have been um, in the incident at Hinkley Point C, given that it, by the sounds of things, it didn't happen in the concrete batching plant and that's their main mm. responsibility on that site. So, you know, it, saying they've had three deaths in 13 months is a bit difficult to say. Um, but as we said in said last week, one would have been utterly tragic and would have been too much two is way, way past okay, and three would be absolutely awful. Um, and we said last week, you know, this is when we, as, as contractors, need to start asking difficult questions. But as I was researching this this week, I thought there's a bit more of a story here. There's a bit more of, of something to kind of dig into. Um, there are more layers to this than just three people dying on a construction site, which is awful. but we need to start asking questions. So what, what I've kind of outlined in this one is the facts basically are that there was this death at Hinkley Point C last year um, in November. That was just before Christmas, which is, is, an, is an awful, would have just been awful for that person's family. Um, like I say, Langer Rock's main role at that point was in, in the concrete batching um, and when you look at the project at Hinkley Point C, it's currently about four years behind program. So there's a really big delay on that one. Mm. Then in the summer this year, we had the death at the new Everton site in Liverpool. Um, Langer Rock are the principal contractor on their own, but that project's on program and they're delivering on time and by the looks of things, mainly at cost. And then we had the Oxford death uh, last week where Langer Rock are a construction partner now that's an interesting term so mm. there's a joint venture that's responsible for the development and delivery of this site in oxford which is essentially a life sciences park um, dedicated to science they're building laboratories they're building co-working spaces for um, stem subjects and smes and all the rest of it but it's been less than a month since that contract award so they're definitely not behind program um, unlike the other two, which, although Hinkley's behind program, definitely not on budget. Um, Everton is on program budget, not a lot out there about that at the moment, but it sounds like they're on budget. And then the Oxford death, definitely not behind program. And if they're over budget within two weeks of starting build, there's some serious questions to ask about the finances. And the reason that I, I kind of bring that stuff up is because last week we started to talk about whether there was a link between program and finances yeah. and the number of deaths that contractors are experiencing on site. Hmm. So I thought, well, I need to dig into that a little bit differently. And actually, each of those is a very different situation. It's a very different context in terms of program and cost. Langer Rock are also not the only, you know, it'd be easy to say, oh, how awful is it that Langer Rock have had two deaths in 12 months? It is awful but it's not specific to Lago Rourke. Balfour BT, for example, have also seen two deaths this year, um, one on HF2 and one on an MOD project. Again, with all five of these fatalities we're talking about, we've got very, very little information. So making any comments about the causes or, or what has happened is very, very difficult to do. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about last week when we, we first tried to address this story was whether there's a link between cost um, essentially cost cutting in order to deliver program. Hmm. We can't draw that conclusion from any of the facts that we've got. 
what is interesting and what I think is revealing. And the reason I go with kind of what's the headline is the construction industry in trouble is that in the annual statement where Lang O'Rourke say we've made these losses of, of north of 250 million pounds this year. The MD says that the losses are a result of a number of factors, but fixed price contracts with inflexible clients causes a significant challenge. That's really interesting. This isn't specific to Lang O'Rourke. So in the wake of the annual report, one construction journalist jumped onto a little article, really good article. Um, if I can find the link again, we'll, we'll share it um, yeah. off the bottom of this. But the, the annual report in itself does not necessarily equal mismanagement or incompetency in the hands of the principal contractor. So this raises a couple of questions for me, particularly because of some of the stuff we have been covering this year in terms of the way that the HSE is starting to change focus, where they're starting to look at clients and designers. Mm. And this is kind of where I'm going with this, is I would be interested to see as these the investigations into these fatalities play out over the course of the next two years, which is, is generally how long it, it often takes for us to get from an incident to a resolution in court. Whether the focus of the investigators is going to be looking at the way that contracts are managed by clients. Now, I don't know, and we don't know, because as we've said a number of times on this podcast, it's very difficult to say anything. And that's quite right, because when there's an open investigation going on, mm. you need to step back and allow the investigators to do their work. Of course. But I wonder if this is what we're going to see. I wonder if this is the, you know, we've seen the tip of the iceberg this year with prosecutions um, into non-fatal incidents um, and fatal incidents where the HSE or the enforcing body has now started to involve the principal designer and the client. So there's that, there's, there's that question of how is this going to play out? But it raises a couple of other ones. So for me, in the current financial climate, it's actually possible for major construction firms to deliver safely. If they've agreed fixed price contracts, so for those that aren't commercially brilliant, um, which I'm not, it, my understanding of a fixed price contract is, is what it, it's what it says on the tin. The price is agreed at the start and it doesn't budge. Um, and the aim of the contractor is to deliver on budget and to that price. Is it possible to do that in a financial climate, which is so turbulent that it's changing every minute? You know, we've, we've seen the, I was reading something else this morning that says the Bank of England have put the interest rate up 14 times in the last three years. Yeah. So interesting place economically, which leads us on to the next question. Can clients as organizations justify providing suitable time and resource as they're required to do by the CDM regulations and then refuse to budge on fixed price contracts in a context similar to the one that we're currently in? And if they are refusing to allow additional cost or revisit contracts, what can a contractor do? So like I say, we don't know until we've gone through what is often a 24 month to a three year process of investigating a fatality and coming to a conclusion in court with the HSE. So it, this isn't, um, this is probably at best conjecture, but I'm looking at the two pieces of the puzzle here and starting to ask questions. I don't know what the answers are, but I'm asking these questions of if contractors are struggling to articulate to their clients, we, in the current context cannot deliver to the contract the agreed designed three years ago or four years ago or however long it was and we need additional financial resource in order to deliver this and the client turns around and says no what can a contractor do yeah all, all really good questions i mean i think we parked the lango rock thing we've kind of gone through the facts that you've outlined uh, for what what we currently know, which, like mm. you said, is going to take a long, a long time for this investigation findings to be released. Mm. So I think we just stick to um, the hypothetical questions that have been raised on the back of these facts. Mm. Um, the the current financial climate and the impact that that's having at major, not just major construction, 
in all construction. Yeah. Um, people that the price of materials has gone through the roof mm-hmm. because everybody's had to put their prices up in order mm-hmm. to try and combat the cost of living. Mm-hmm. You've got the import of shortage of materials. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's more cost there because mm-hmm. if there's a material that's in high demand, you put your costs up. People want that. Mm-hmm. So if you're stuck in a fixed contract, mm-hmm. a fixed price contract that doesn't allow for any flexibility, mm-hmm. each price hike directly affects your profit mm-hmm. or your yeah. margin. Yeah. So that would, that may lead, and I will say may, that may lead to people cutting corners. Yeah. However, we, yeah, we, we need yeah. to kind of disconnect this from the Lang O'Rourke. That that particular situation has led us down the path to ask mm-hmm. the hypothetical questions. Mm-hmm. What what what's everybody else seeing in the industry? Yeah, are everybody else seeing that the margins are now tighter than ever before, mm-hmm. and people are looking to get things done either quicker, mm-hmm. or are they? chopping things out that are important in order to meet deadlines and budgets yeah definitely um it's an interesting one um and the, the fixed price contract thing is is an interesting concept in itself because a client will often go for fixed price because that it, it's about managing risk certainty isn't it i w- i wonder how appropriate a fixed term con a fixed price contract is yeah. for a build that you know straight from the start is going to last for more than two years. I suppose the only way that you could do that is by accurately costing things right at the beginning, then mm-hmm. giving yourself a margin like, of wiggle room. And like a really big risk pot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and uh, you're talking, I mean, um, we're kind of advocates of Giri, the mm-hmm. Get It Right initiative, which is kind of focused on getting designers to to manage as much risk as possible to foresee all of the foreseeables that a designer can do mm-hmm. and effectively assist in the pricing of things as effectively as possible so if your your profit is being reduced through mistakes that are being made that could have been caught earlier on in the project in design mm-hmm. it's going to have less of an impact downstream so the only way that I can see people doing this is making sure that they've got that absolutely squared away, mm-hmm. making sure that their designers to the nth degree have made sure that it's buildable. There can't be any delays. The program's right. Everything the way ev- everything is the way that it should be with a pot of risk mm-hmm. being yeah, available. I mean, I mean we, we, we've talked a few times about in the past around kind of when the designers don't go through that process and there's some research available that says if you don't get your design right from day one and you you were to build with your design at day one rather than you know actually working through that process that sort of Geary advocate for yeah. um Reba advocate for Loughborough University have done a really good piece of research and over the last 25 years have developed a, a thing called the adept model which I use a lot in work and I'm I'm doing some active adept modeling at the moment in order in my own career to try and support our designers. If you don't go through that process, you might as well start. If you go, right, we're just going to draw a line on a map of like, we're going to draw like a, you know, say a house, like we're, we're going to take the, the image of the, the house off the fridge that my three-year-old drew with a crayon and we're going to build that. That's what we want. You're looking at adding between 16 and 27%. Um, I think it's 27. can't remember what the upper... Yeah, I think it was 16, 27% on top of the tender price. So if you go with your day one design of, and I'm being flippant here of like a kid drawing a house with a with a crayon, but if, if you're- Yeah, no designer's doing, doing that. <laughs> yeah, no designer's doing that at all. But, and no designer wants to do that. Often it's the client going, we want the design quicker. We want, you know, we want this. And I think the point of this story, and I think what we'll, what we will see play out over the course of the next 18 months, I think the next two to three years, um and and into you know the the early 2030s yeah is the role of the client is going to i think is going to come under increasing scrutiny i agree i agree 
I think what's revealing about this story with Lang O'Rourke is they've had these awful fatalities over the last 13 months. And it, it's a really sad, sad time for them. And then also they're talking about these financial issues. I think what's revealing is they're essentially saying, we want to do the right things. Mm. And a lot of the time we are doing the right things. And I will caveat this with the, the person who wrote the statement in the annual report made the statement before the fatality at Oxford around clients not supporting and clients not clients being rigid. Yeah. I think what it's revealing here is like we need to work more collaboratively. And as I was kind of doing the research into this, and it goes back to the question I said at the start, is the construction industry in trouble? Is that we still seem to work in an industry that Although on the face of it, some people have done a very, 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 very good job of commsing up this collaborative industry. It's still extremely cutthroat and it's still extremely, when shit hits the fan, I'm going in my camp and you're going in yours. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think just to kind of give this a bit of balance, this is kind of a, a statement from from an md in an annual report i would also like to see who else was tendering for this oxford job and whether lang or rourke and again this is purely conjecture but it's just a conversation topic whether lang or rourke undercut everybody else and then said well actually financially this is going to be a challenge because you're too rigid well actually the the race to the well, bottom starts with the people pricing the work yeah Absolutely. I mean, the, the one thing I would add to caveat that point is that Lang O'Rourke are currently the biggest contractor in the UK Yeah. Um, that are UK based. So it's probably pretty difficult for them. It would be very difficult for them to undercut other people. I think people would be trying to undercut them. So I think logically there's, there's that part. The other mm -hmm. thing I would say is that on the Oxford job, like I say, the, the comment by the, M, um, by the MD in the annual report. Was previous to that was previous to that yeah. but you also going back to what i said before they'd only just won the contract yeah when they when their annual report came out it, it was literally a matter of days um and i think that might be contract suicide <laughs> for, an MD, <laughs> for an md to make that pointed of a comment um yeah. at the start of a contract side so I, th I, I think, think kind of what i'm getting to is that it's a two-way street on if you're going to sign a rigid contract with a client and mm -hmm. then blame the the client for being rigid. Mm -hmm. The there's very little, yeah, it, it, yeah. Both but, are at fault. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's the point. Yeah. Um, I think that's the point I'm making is that what we often see in these situations, and we we see it all the time in reports. We've seen it. There's a number of times that you and I have been reading through news articles where the way that the journalism is reported the either serious incident or the fatality is the statement that's come through from one of the companies is well it's not our fault oh yeah pretty much like our sub our subcontractor did not do this our subcontractor will be supported it's like hang on a minute you're the principal contractor or you're the client and i think that's the challenge that we have yeah and i'm fighting the immediate response in my 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 gut of saying of, of going into that zone um, particularly as I've had probably more of a contract experience than I have a client experience, um, I'm fighting the response in my gut to go, yeah, I know what you're saying, Anthony, about, you know, there's two, two mm -hmm. sides to a contract and, you know, if you're doing this, but, well, you know, if clients are only choosing fixed price contracts, what choice do we have as a contractor to sign that? Because, you know, it's not as if there's six, yeah. six of the clients over the hill offering, you know, different types of contracts or, you know, cost reimbursable contracts which are often super fun for contractors because they just go this is how much it costs and they go through the whole program and go blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit thing so you know i that's my immediate response is to want to go well it's not as if there's loads of clients offering different terms but yeah i, th yeah, I think i think what i'm getting at is we, we're we're kind of covering the headline of is the construction industry in trouble yeah and until the contracts or the, the client offer more flexible contracts or they have a bigger risk part mm -hmm. or the contractor doesn't undercut everyone for a race to the bottom 
until those things are fixed, money is always going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got obviously inflation. Yeah. Goods import issues, shortage of a material. Yeah. You've got all that stuff piled on top of this. Yeah, skill shortage, labor shortage. So we've got that that's you know other challenges that we're facing in terms of we haven't got as big of a workforce and that workforce isn't as skilled as it was 10 years ago. So that you've got that challenge as well, which is introduces all sorts of, of challenges, particularly with cost, because if you price the job, if you price, you shouldn't be, but if you're pricing the job the way that you did 10 years ago on the basis that you're gonna have competent resource, your risk pot's not gonna be big enough because you're gonna be constant, you know, if you've got workforce that don't really know what they're doing, you are gonna be constantly going back. And I think the point that we're making is the HSE are very clearly starting to look at project teams as a whole. And yeah. I say project team as the definition under CDM rather yeah. than the contractor's project team, which is what most people think about. And the project yeah. team under CDM is all three parties, the client, the principal contractor, and the principal designer. And sometimes the designers of contractors underneath them. The HSE is clearly starting to develop an appetite to look at the whole project team and until the whole project team sit down and go let's work this out together we're not going to see we're not going to see a, a, i don't think we're going to see a change no definitely not and let, let's kind of strip it back to what this is somebody wants something built mm -hmm. and somebody knows how to build stuff mm -hmm. why aren't you talking to each other yeah why aren't you sitting down and making it realistic mm -hmm. rather than fighting each other with powerpoints and pie charts on mm. on costings and things sit down and come up with something that's realistic workable and can actually be achieved yeah that's what we're getting at yeah 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 and i think the the challenge that we will always get back is well i'm willing to do that well i'm willing to do that okay then. <laughs> you're both willing to do it so you need to you know sit down and talk about it yeah. um but yeah i think going to, just to tie it off i think there are there are some questions here and it would be interesting to hear what people think yeah i i want to hear back from people um like, do, are we are we stabbing in the dark with conjecture possibly um it is it possible i think there's a question here is is it is it honestly is it honestly possible for a major construction firm and then smaller construction firms as well to deliver safely in the current financial climate and maintain their business. And I, I think that that is a very complex question. I think we'll, it is as well. I hope, I hope we'll spark some useful and provocative conversation. Right. Mythbusters. Mythbusters. Right. How do you want to do this? So I think we do it similar to last week. I will read out. I've, I've got two. Um, and then if you give me your instant reaction and then twi and twi I've got two if you give me your instant reaction when I read them out and then we'll discuss your thought process okay so the first one is I work for the ambulance service all ambulance stations in our region have to display posters stating first aid box locations and nominated first aiders dot 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 rightly so rightly so not a myth. Um, no, I don't think that's a myth. That's a standard workplace requirement. So if everybody in the ambulance station is a paramedic... Is everybody in the ambulance station a paramedic? Do they not have, I don't know, secretary, cleaning staff? Do they not have mechanics working on the ambulances? I mean, is everybody a paramedic? Well, I think the thing that I thought about when I was going through this is... If you've got a paramedic in the ambulance station all the time on on hand to help you out if you get a paper cut, yeah, doesn't really seem like a good use of resources. No, not really. But why wouldn't you have a first aid kit in a place of work? No, but that's what I'm saying. Is like this this kind <laughs> of myth that I've come up with again. I found on Reddit. It's not Brexit blobby this time, but I'm <laughs> I'm reading it and going. But you would. 
my initial act, my my initial reaction is yeah that's awful like why would you need a first, why would you need to spend money on a first aid kit and first aiders in a in an ambulance station but then I'm thinking well your paramedics with your medical equipment are going to be out helping people with and this yeah. probably sounds a bit mean but real issues um is that not real issues that's probably not the right way to put it but no, slightly think, more serious issues if you yeah, need a I, paramedic it's a slightly more serious issue than a first aid first aid requirement yeah exactly and yeah. i think that's what i'm saying is like i'm it, it's kind of taken for granted that um, and i've read it and i'm gone like is this another post that's a myth no i don't actual, think it's a myth i mean the actual subject is not a myth in that yes, you need a first aider and a first aid box in the station because you can't take it for granted that you can have a paramedic with a defib on hand every minute of every day. But you don't need a paramedic for a defib if you've cut yourself in the kitchen. Exactly, exactly. So I, I thought yeah. it was a really interesting one. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think that's a myth. I think that's somebody being sensible. Um, mm. I Honestly, it's been a while since I've looked at the first aid regs, but I'm sure it says in the first aid regs that all workplaces will have suitable provision for suitably trained first aid personnel and a first aid kit mm. so to me it just sounds like they're maintaining compliance mm. Mm. yeah I'll, I'll see what you mean um why don't we like change industry on that one and ask the same question are there fire extinguishers in a fire station yeah yeah so why wouldn't there be a first aid kit in a paramedic center yeah, that's a good shout yeah yeah, yeah i'm saying not yeah. myth i'm gonna say not legitimate no, I agree. I think you still need a first aid kit and a first aider in an ambulance station. If for mm -hmm. no other reason, because you just cannot take for granted that you can have a paramedic well, uh, like mm -hmm. a, or a medically trained professional sat in that ambulance station. It also depends on, <laughs> like, we there's loads of context missing, like, how big is the ambulance station? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is it a central hub where, you know, they've You've got, got hundreds of call centre staff? And... Yeah. Like, yeah. is it, yeah, there's so many questions. Is there a there. mechanics bay? Yeah, Is that, yeah. The, the, there's so many questions, but yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say it's a place of work. Yeah, not a myth. Not a myth. There we go. Okay, cool. that's quite a common one that does come up. I think somebody asked that on my uh, on my Nibosh course. Right. Maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not Brexit blobby, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not Brexit blobby. Brexit um, blobby on Reddit. Yeah, we we're gonna want royalties from this guy by the, or girl. Um, yeah. We want royalties because we keep giving you a shout out. Um, right, next one. This is going back to what I said last week. So I haven't been able to find the legal precedent I talked about. And that's not because I've looked and haven't been able to find it. It's because I haven't looked. I haven't okay. Um, I'm pretty rammed at work at the moment and don't have loads of time to Google whether there's a legal precedent around whether you can need to risk assess a kettle. This one is we're not allowed a toaster in the workplace. Okay, so then this is quite, this is one with a couple of like comments underneath it. That's awful. We're not allowed microwaves here. After somebody, somebody, somebody microwaved a pie in a tin foil case and caused a fire. I don't know why I'm finding that so funny. All these rules are generally in place because at some point in time, some halfway has ruined it for the rest of us. <sighs> I'm on the fence with this one. I'm on the fence because it's caused a fire. So the, um. But again, one person's actions ruining it for everyone else just doesn't seem... So that, that's the question, right? Yeah. And I think it comes back to this um, this this thing, I, and I will do the research for it. I promise I'll come back to us next week. But I think it comes back to this thing of, do you need to change a risk assessment every time somebody does something stupid? No. No. But then again, if you're the kind of person who... You're you're the reason that signage exists. I mean that that's probably not a good position to be in. So like stick something on top of that microwave to say don't put metal things in the microwave. But when that's you open, a bit more proportionate, so, isn't it? So here's here's the deal: when you open a microwave door, most microwaves have like a little label inside them that says don't put metal in the microwave. Yeah, they do. But that warning, the warning has been positioned aesthetically. It hasn't been positioned for, it doesn't stand out. No. And it's designed not to stand out. It's designed to be discreet so that those who are aware you don't put metal in a microwave 
or those that aren't aware should kind of go, hang on, there's a sticker there. What's that sticker say? Yeah. But yeah, it, I think a bigger sign or, or something there would be a lot more proportionate than removing it and banning it from the kitchen or canteen or wherever. <laughs> okay, right. Here's, here's the next comment then. Yeah. So this, this is somebody else who said, my workplace has always also confiscated the toaster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But that was due to the fact that somebody kept putting cheese, their cheese sandwich in it and it kept getting clogged up with cheese. So, my, I've got a family member. I'm not going to say where in my family they are. I yeah. have a family member who used to lie the toaster down on its side to make cheese on toast. I am not kidding you. I'm trying to figure out whether that's clever or not. I know, right? I know. So um, um, it was kind of before toasters grabbed the bread. They used to just lower the bread. Right, okay. And now they kind of grab it, don't they? Squeeze it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, it kind of holds it in place. Um, so before yeah. that, that was kind of a thing where it just lowered the bread in. Um, yeah, they, and so, I, I nearly gave away their gender there, they used, used to make cheese on toast by lying the toast on its side. That's mad. Okay, so... The next comment on this is that I've been in my current job five months and we've had to evacuate the building twice in that time because of the alarm going off due to toaster-related incidents. Um, we've also had hot water bottles banned after somebody brought a hot water bottle in on a cold day and spilled boiling water on themselves by not attaching the, what's it called, cap properly. The lid. So there's a, there's a couple of things here. And the reason I wanted to go through this is... We go, I've seen offices which have, are literally covered in signs that say, like, no hot water bottle, like, by the, by the kettle, do not fill up your hot water bottle, hot water bottles are banned. Or signs over the toasters that say this. At what point is it appropriate to just stand up in the middle of the office and say, right, that fire, that fire alarm was not a drill, um, but it was not planned, <laughs> and it's because Jim Bob over there doesn't know how to use a fecking toaster. <laughs> like, at what point is it is it appropriate to stand up and just shame the person that can't use a toaster? Because, like, you, you can just end up with this... I, I mean, maybe it's not appropriate, but I'm kind of getting to this point where I... Um, before the podcast, we were I googled risk assessment for microwave, and I was just, like, briefly reading through it and being like, this can't be a real risk assessment. This, yeah. this cannot be a real risk assessment. But it is. It's yeah. signed, it was from a local council, and it's signed by, it's literally signed, and it's on their website. Yeah. I'm like, this is mad. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Do, do but... you sit people down on their first day and go through this risk assessment for the microwave, or is it just like a piece of paper that's kept in a folder? But why, why is a smoke alarm there? It's there to give people early warning that there's, a, there's an issue. Yeah. So... I'm going to kind of put it to you that somebody will call him Jim Bob. will pick on Jim Bob. Jim yeah. Bob's gone over and he's going, you know what? I'm a bit hungry. I've come to work early. I've got, I'm really busy. I'm just going to have a couple of slices of toast, get back to my desk. And while he's plunged his toast into the toaster, yeah, somebody's rang and he's gone, oh, oh I better take this. It's the boss. Right. Okay. So yeah. he takes a call and they go, oh, I, I need those figures right, right now. And he goes, right, I'm now stressed. I'm under pressure. And goes back to his computer. Mm. Meanwhile, the toast is on the incorrect setting. Right, yeah. And now everybody in the building has been alerted to the fact that there's the potential that something's on fire. I'm now seeing where this could go. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it's so not it's all not... because people are stupid. Yeah. It's also because things happen. Yeah, <laughs> But then, like, yeah, do you need some? Yeah, I. No, I mean, I what, you what mean, you? I see what you mean. In that situation, standing up in the middle of the office and saying Jim Bomb doesn't need to, doesn't know how to use a toaster is probably not going to go down super well. I doubt it will go down well for anything, really. No. If you turn around and said Jim Bob doesn't know how to use the water machine, I mean, like, pointing. <laughs> Pointing out Jim Bob's flaws in front of everybody else is probably not a good thing to do. Yeah, so in answer to the question, at what point is it acceptable just to stand up and shame the person for, you know, melting a cheese toasty on a toaster when it's on the side 
or putting a pie in the oven with its tinfoil on? The answer's like, never. Never, never. The answer's okay. never. All right, I'm glad, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Um, but I just read this and think these can't be real offices. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck on the hot water bottle one in my head. I'm stuck on the hot water bottle one because um, hot water bottle, you're not going to really have outside. This is going to be kind of be an indoor thing. I yeah. presume it's an office. They've said it's an office, so we'll stick mm. with that that scenario. Um, your office is supposed to be a comfortable ambient temperature for the people that are there. So, right, interesting point on that. Well, let me finish before you jump in with this one. Yeah. What happens if somebody's suffering from like period pains or cramps or whatever, and yeah. they need that hot water bottle in order to just perform, yeah, and just get through the working day? And somebody, because somebody's had a four part of dropping a cap and that incident being like a, a standalone incident, mm. the people that do suffer with that sort of stuff is going to have to stay at home because mm. mm. they, they, they won't be able to operate if they don't have that that kind of comforting effects that comes with Absolutely. warm water next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what what's your take on it? Um, no, what I was going to say is that a lot of the quote-unquote comfortable ambient temperatures as well there's a really good book that um, mm. I've Emma kind of gave me some expert from excerpts from yeah. a while back yeah where a lot of the comfortable ambient temperatures that were set as as guidance are all for men and don't take into consideration that women's physiology is different to men's and say times of menopause etc yeah yeah so we have it easy because we can say 16 degrees is comfortable for our entire life from start to finish Yes. So women, women go through a complete journey of what is a comfortable ambient temperature is, mm. is different the whole way through their lives. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's probably a slight oversimplification of the problem, but the, the point being that, like, you know... That comfort I, ambient temperature can change, and it can yeah, vary. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think, you know, we've had a bit of a, a laugh and a joke about people burning their toast and whether or not it's Jim <laughs> Bob to stand on the chair. Yeah. I'm still reading through these and going, these these don't sound like real offices. I've never worked in an office where any of this has been a problem. And, it, and if it is, certainly haven't, like, I'm trying to think if I've ever had. I think that the only time I can ever remember something going wrong with a microwave, it was a bit of a, like, laugh and a joke, and the person got the mic taken out of them for a week, and then it all got cleaned up and it never happened again. Um, but obviously it's not appropriate for a manager to stand up and say, Jim Bob's an idiot. Um, which I didn't think it was. Well, maybe I did. Uh, yeah, maybe you changed my mind on that one. Maybe I've grown a bit today on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I think there are... I think the question we, we were, I was trying to ask this last week, um, coming to this week on Mythbusters as well, is where's the line in terms of personal accountability for, for an individual to take? Because it's something we see all the time in investigations, isn't it? The person didn't do this. And actually, a lot of the time, the responsibility is on the company to have done more. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess yeah. the question here is at what, at what point do you, do you draw, draw the line and go, a grown-up should be able to manage that situation? And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, and going back to last week, why would you ask somebody that's done a driving test to do another driving test mm. if there's no call for it or yeah um yeah i i kind of take your point everybody's different everybody's got different experiences do you know there's probably some people out there that haven't used a microwave mm. because yeah they, they may not have i don't know they, i mean we don't we don't have a microwave in our house um okay we don't, we don't have room for one um which sounds mad but we we've got other things that we like to have that yeah. and i'm a bit like i don't i'm a bit ocd with it well i've yeah. got ocd uh, so that so that's so, that discreet but, sticker like, on the microwave is for people like you that don't have a microwave at home there we go. so at what point do we say you don't need to risk assess something if you would come across it at home yeah and that that's the question and we'll we'll get to the bottom of it maybe we'll do it as a main topic sometime maybe maybe or we just right. keep throwing these in I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying these. These are good. Yeah. I mean, I've got a chair at home. Um, if I was to trap my finger in the chair in an office, mm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody has a chair at home. 
I don't, I don't mean like a, a generic chair. Most people have chairs. So, do you want to? I have got one more. So, I have got one more. Um, do you want to do another Mythbuster? Well, it's not really a Mythbuster. Or do you want to do a loved and loved on LinkedIn? Well, I don't have a loved and loved on LinkedIn. Right. So, so do you have a loved uh, and loved on LinkedIn? No, but I have a loathed, not so much a loathed on TikTok, but um, as I was doing <laughs> some research earlier, and I think I sent you the video, I don't know if you watched it. No, I haven't. Right. No. So, um, we'll, I'll send it to you, I'll make sure you've got it. We can put it. So, I'll just describe what's going on in this video. Um, there's a person making fried chicken, but the way that they're making fried chicken is they've got one of those little tin foil roasting tins that you can buy off the shelf. Yeah. And they put it on top of the hob, filled it up with oil, set it to boiling, and are just placing chicken legs into this like not very thick wow. tinfoil thing. And I'm not on TikTok, but I think one of the things that I one of the reasons I'm not on TikTok is because there are quite a lot of these things that you find where it's like, oh, try this, and you look at it and it is just outright dangerous. It's like not a good idea. Don't do that. Do not do that. Um, with the question, am I the only person who does this? Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I, I see them um, on Insta Reels, to be fair, mm. where somebody is just taking a nut and a bolt and um, an angle grinder and mm. fit like a massive floor saw blade to an angle grinder mm. using these kind of these nuts yeah. and bolts and then go oh is this a really good idea and you, no. no it really isn't a good idea it's stop good showing idea. people that you do this stuff yeah yeah. There's, yeah there's a reason you can't buy one of those in the shops and it's not because somebody hasn't thought about it first exactly exactly yeah yeah no. it's because it's gonna take your head off so thank you so much for listening and we appreciate your feedback if you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate and leave us a review. It really helps to reach people who might be interested. You can find us on Instagram and X on as <laughs> let me try that again. You can find us on Instagram and X as Adams underscore Hayes. But if sending us email is more your thing, you can send us a message to podcast at ahcs.co.uk. Feel free to get in contact if you've got any feedback, positive or negative, or you'd like to suggest a topic for one of our features. For now, thank you and goodbye. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and stay well.